Sharkoff, your host of Film Wax. This is episode number 759. I just checked. Uh, and it's Friday, the 7th of April, I think, when we're sitting here at the. What are you calling it this week? I'm going to call it the uh, shoebox. Shoe <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's fair. We had six, seven, eight, nine people in here. In the shoebox. Oh, I know. This was. Uh, I do, okay, let's set up the scenario a little bit more. We're in the back. We're in the we're in the room in the back of the Epicurean here, right at Radio Free Rhinecliff in Rhinecliff, New York. And as I'm pulling up to the uh, block, I'm noticing a series of sheriff's vehicles, and I'm thinking <laughs> this was a setup. These guys, you know, faked like like got me to come out here under false pretenses, and finally I'm going to be booked and arrested for myriad uh, reasons, of course. And uh, fortunately, that's not the case, but it was uh, John's show. Yes. Yes. John host, Burton. John Burton, the host of... Home From Here. Home From Here, which is, I guess, a, uh, a just a conversational interview show, with, right? With music. It's, uh, with music, music is a but main... But not always. A lot of musicians, though. We're, yep. we're, we're, who was playing? John was playing? Who was playing? John, John always plays in, but... Okay. Uh, this show was uh, specifically about school shootings, so it was a little, Ooh, okay. little unusual. So we had the head of the Dutchess County SWAT team over and, okay. and wow. the school, school resource, resource officer, officer. and okay. another uh, another member of the SWAT team. Yeah. Well, well they had... don't call it SWAT team. They call it emergency service here. Gotcha. Well, this is uh, uh, going to be a, quite the transition because <laughs> nothing like that going on really? in this episode. <laughs> I know, hard to believe, and uh, and then we we and I need to leave do this rather relatively uh, quickly and economically because Andy Osray, the host of the Back Room, is going to be here any moment to do his 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 show with Molly Young Fast. Is it Young or Jung? Molly, Molly, you know? Molly Jung Fast. Jung Fast, who I bet yeah I follow on Twitter and have her forever. She's delightful. She's a Amazing. returning guest. We've had yes, one before. that's right. I love having returning guests. In fact, one of my guests on this episode is a returning guest. His name is Philip Shane, and I'll get to him in a minute. But I have two segments, which is not unusual. And the first one is with a filmmaker. I saw a name, Reed Harkness. I saw this film. Uh, I forget which documentary film festival. I'm going to guess it was Doc NYC last fall. But I got the copy of it, and I watched it with Christina, my girlfriend, and we were blown away. I mean, it was so moving and such an amazing. This is because it, it, it kind of hits all the marks for a documentary. You don't know where it's going to go. It's like one of these things that it's so uh, ultimately a representation of like, you know, what documentaries are for, you know, and because we have so much content and, you know, we're living in you now in a maybe second or third generation of people who have been. My grandfather owned a Super 8 camera when my mom i have footage of my mother in the 1940s that's amazing so home movies have been around for huh. for 80 years or something huh. or maybe 90 my my grandfather was you know like a you know somebody who loved technology even way back uh-huh. and he he you know that's another story but he had this camera so i have wonderful footage of my mother and her sister 
going back to the forties when my mom was uh, still a t- pretty much a toddler, you know, becoming a young girl. So Reed, it was a, had a video camera as a young boy and his, he and his half brother would make these short films. I'll talk about it based on a character that his brother Sam made, uh, or developed called the Blue Panther. And what they did is after a time is they took these, the superhero, you know, ultra, ultra ego type of character of this young boy and they started incorporating into real life situations and developing and processing issues and family trauma and, and things. And ultimately, Reed, the, you know, the older brother, helped Sam. The two of them decided, now they were young men, many years later, they're still taking home movies. The, the, the cameras have gotten better. The, the, the media has changed, but the, they're still kind of shooting the same types of things. Now they decide to find Sam's biological mother who had abandoned the family years earlier. So Sam and Reed share a dad, a biological father. Reed, and this film is called Sam Now, and I was thrilled to bring Reed on, and we're going to go to that in a moment. I'll just uh, read to you that Reed attended film school in his backyard and garage. At age 18, he began making a series of short films. They had been filming way before this, by the way. But uh, when Reed was 18, he started making short films starring his younger brother. This was now the beginning of a project. Two decades into making Sam Now, a coming-of-age film that follows his brother from age 11 to 36, Reed directed the award-winning 30-minute documentary Forest on Fire in the documentary series for Topic House on Fire. This is the, called Sam Now. It's opened in L.A. as we speak on Friday, April 7th. It opened yesterday on the 6th in L.A. It opens theatrically today in New York City. Filmed, uh, and I'll, not to repeat myself, but let's see. I, yeah, we'll just go, we're going to go into the uh, uh, trailer after this anyway, so I can, I can, I'll leave it. I think I did it justice. So this is my conversation with the documentary filmmaker, Reed Harkness. This is my half-brother, Sam. I've been filming him since he was 11. Oh, my God! Oh, Joyce! This is his mom. I felt so special around her. Joyce is here and Sam. She would dance to music with me on her shoulders. When he was 14, she vanished without telling anyone. Did she say goodbye? No, didn't say goodbye that time. At age 17, Sam and I take a road trip to find her. I want her to know that I'm not mad at her. She is wanted. What happens if Sam has to hear that his mom doesn't want to see him? How are you? I'm good. Um, Meet you. Yeah, good. How are you? Good. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm also, are you set or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. Oh, great. Okay. Well, it's nice. Again, it's nice to meet you. And I don't, I don't remember the exact circumstances of how I saw Sam now. Uh, Probably a publicist from a festival or something sent it to me. I get a lot of those. But this one stood out, Reed. I mean, you know, so I was, I watched it projected. We have a projector at home and I watched it, you know, it looked beautiful. And my, I uh, watched it with my, uh, my girlfriend. We watched it and I was like, this is, I'd love to get this guy on my podcast. 
So I'm asking you, do you have, do you know how I can make that happen? <laughs> let me go, let me go ask myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here. I'm totally here. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, it's a special film. It's, it, and you, you know, uh, it's had a great trajectory so far. I mean, it's had a great, a lot of great festivals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the big one for us was in Zurich where, you know, like we win this really big prestigious award. I think they only give out like four awards and, um, huge opera house. And, you know, we go up on stage and everyone's in black tie. Wild. Oh, yeah. Is there a difference? I mean, if you've shown the film in various parts of the, well, maybe just in Europe and here. I don't know. Have you shown it? Yeah, in we've a, done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, U.S., Canada. We Canada. were just in a festival in Zagreb, um, uh-huh. Germany. I think, yeah, we've, we've been, we've been, uh, circulating. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. And is, do you notice any difference in terms of, the response to the films, like on a social level or like, you know, or does everybody kind of have similar responses? Like, you know, oh, it's very moving. It's a moving story, powerful story uh, about multi-generational, uh, uh, I guess, uh, emotional. I, I know you have a particular way of describing it, so I'm trying to remember exactly how you describe it, but generational trauma, trauma, um, generational yeah. trauma, that's family right. trauma. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to answer your question, the, uh, the feeling that I've gotten from all the audiences that I've been around is more or less the same. It brings up connection to family. It brings up connection to relationships. It brings up like your own personal understanding of growth and what that means yeah. to you. And all those things I just think are, they're just fundamental aspects of being a human. Exactly. So therefore, the film has a universal connection. It creates a universal, uh, I mean, we all uh, yearn to uh, connect to, uh, well, you know, obviously to have relations with our parents, with our children. We can all relate to when it doesn't exactly happen that way and how traumatic that, that, that is and what damage that can cause. Totally. And even, if, you know, you're somebody who's been adopted and you don't really have a, you know, a connection with uh, your birth parents that you still might be kind of yearning for like what that connection might have been like. Uh, right. So you, when were you, when did uh, you and, and, and Sam uh, are, are, are steps? Halves. Halves. <laughs> We're a blended family. Yeah. Um, we have the same right. dad same and different dad. moms. Right. Yeah. Right. And so he is, and just to clarify, cause I, I was struggling to remember before I, I came here and I realized I forgot some of my notes, but, but, uh, that you are the younger of the two. I'm the older brother. You're the older brother. Okay. So, uh, obviously your dad remarried Sam's mom. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, and, and when did you, when you started shooting film, because you know you've been shooting your entire, pretty much your entire life, right? You start yeah. off with a, a kind of a, a, a an inherited mediocre camera, right? Yeah. And 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 over the years, obviously, different cameras have come into your purview, whether yeah. you purchase them or or not. And so, obviously, as you're watching the. Sam, now the documentary, we're looking at different formats, you know, of, of, of footage. But, but 
you you didn't have any initial plan or thoughts of or or ideas about this in the bigger picture. It was just you were going sort of you were shooting your brother who had this alter ego, and that right. And you created stories and short films, right? Was that how it started? Yeah, exactly. It starts back in '97. I'm making um, short films. My brother is the subject and star of these films. They're they're fictional representations of childhood experiences that, uh, you know, I'm I'm a teenager too. I'm I just I just gone through a lot of this stuff, and so I'm working that out on, on film. Um, what, but not what, consciously. Consciously. Okay, so you were. I mean, uh, the, I guess the question I have is, as a kid, how sophisticated are you? Are you like saying, you know, I, I, I want to work some of this, this emotional, the confusion complications out and do it artistically by making short films or yes, yes, I was doing that. Yes. You were. So, yeah. But that was for me, you know, like that was, yeah. that was me as a, you know, 18, 19, 20, you know, like in those, in those years, I, um, and go to film school and I wanted to make films and uh the way that I thought to make films was to um do coming of age piece about the experiences I just had you know you know growing up and so I started acting out this stuff using Sam as subject and we make a series of films and what I thought was cool about the project is that Sam is aging through those films and yes. we're we're growing together in this right. way um, and, and in that process, um, we go on lots of adventures, um, and, uh, develop a really tight bond. Um, mm. so much so that like when I suggest, how about the blue panther, Sam's alter ego, uh, goes to find his mom, it sort of works to, in Sam's mind as a, a vehicle to, to maybe delve into a difficult thing mm. so he also even though he's somewhat younger he's under he's are you guys as kids or young young adults having conversations specifically about what could be a cathartic uh, experience or no way i don't know any no guy, young guys that do that you know like i think right that... yeah well even as much as what you're describing earlier as you know you're making a concerted you know, effort at what you're, 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 you actually have like these goals, these almost psychological goals. Yeah. I mean, at the time I was, you know, I wanted to try to be a filmmaker and I, and I saw like some of the stories that I had as from being, you know, a kid as potential for, for, for making some pieces of film. They're short, you know, they're like really short films, but they're, um, they're just exploring these feelings like, um, like, uh, crashing your bike and like what it's like to like be locked out of your house and like what, you know, what bullying feels like, that kind of stuff. Right. Wow. And the, we're not getting into, you know, we're not getting into these like, the bigger conversations of the movie that come that yeah. come later, yeah, I, yeah, because I I was just trying to get, gain a kind of a more nuanced understanding of what that journey was like for you guys, you know. And I understand. I have to imagine uh, having a uh, a son who 
has a half sibling. This is for people, so it's a shorthand for people to understand the relationships and the history. You're, it's your brother. We don't, you don't, your brother is a brother. So we only mention half or step because, you know, it is by way of further explanation of, of your family's history, right? I mean, that's, that's about it. Nice. That's how I feel too. I definitely feel that way. He's my brother. And, you know, I think there's also, chosen family for people you know sometimes right. i think you know you get to a place where you're like this person's my brother even though we're not blood related sure sure uh, uh at what point describe the 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 point maybe it was your mom uh, let me rephrase your mother joyce uh also carried around a lot of trauma and at a certain point in uh sam's childhood uh, decided to, to leave very suddenly. And in over the t- years later, when you guys are making these films and they're getting, they're obviously, uh, stri- striking some sort of nerve or you're seeing some sort of something, uh, coming into focus. The idea occurs to go and seek her out. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, I think you described it well. I think that, you know, we've been circling around, you know, um, all of these, you know, these themes around like, you know, growing pains. And, and then there was a really very real elephant in the room in our family, which yeah. is that at this point, um, Joyce has been gone for like, years now like it's been years and and nothing's really happened so um i'm noticing the inaction i'm noticing that maybe nothing's going to happen and i suggest to sam how about the blue panther finds his mom because sam wanted to do all the you know he wanted he had all these ideas too for movies that he wanted to make and one of them was like his alter ego who's like this like cartoon character with a wrestling mask and a too tight wetsuit and you know he was going to do this kind of comedy action hero thing and i just suggested how about the blue panther finds his mom because that was you know it's 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 tough to it's tough to define like the relationship between brothers and boys but it is really really hard uh to talk about feelings and difficult things among men. I found it much more easy to talk about it with women. Um, but like with, 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 you know, with Sam, the way that it surfaced was through telling a story and making a movie. And that, that happened to be a, a way that we could, we could do this. You know, we already knew how to do that. We already knew how to tell a story and make a movie about something that was painful. Mm. Something very just, it was very beautiful about taking it like this, the, of that playing itself out in front of our, you know, eyes, uh, as viewers, like seeing this, the Blue Panther, this creation stumble into real life trauma and sort of, it's, it's, it's heroic, you know, it really is heroic. All of a sudden fiction becomes kind of nonfiction in a way, mm. you know, it's a, it's a, it's almost like it's, it's an accident. I don't, I mean, that ends up being maybe, you know, probably a really, uh, just a, a, a happens to be a really powerful way to, t- to sort of tell this story, you know. And also, uh, 
it's really complicated. We, you know, like my feeling is, as I'm watching is on one hand, of course, the, the most basic urge or, or driving force or force or motivation is to reconnect with one's own mother. It's your mother. You're inside her womb. You know, it's, there's nothing more powerful than that connection. At the same time, the amount of, I would expect or not, uh, be surprised by a lot of rage, anger, resentment for abandoning, you know, you guys. And that's a complicated thing. Like we're, and you guys, I mean, the, what I watched was why aren't they, the amount of patience and, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much. I want people to see it. Obviously I'm not going to give away any more than what we've talked about, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. What do, what do you think? And what does Sam think? What does your family think of the film? And, and, you know, maybe, and, and that, what I just, and what I just brought up. Because mm. you got your grand, you know, the, your, the grandmother, her, your mom's mother-in-law, right? Your dad in there. All these yeah. People, it's a big who, question. Who had to see you guys go back and find Joyce as well as, you know, or attempt to find Joyce and then that, all that, that brought on. Yeah. It's a tremendous amount. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you brought up a lot of pieces there and you want to know how the yeah. family reacted to seeing the movie. Yeah. I guess we'll start there. I know I just sort of opened up the, you know, the tap. There, the yeah. Top. There's a few things I could respond to, but I'll just talk about first. Yeah. The family, um, Sam, you know, um, the, this is a project 25 years in the making and I didn't, present it to my family until 25 years had happened. Um, so it's a, it's a long time for me to carry, um, the baggage and the, uh, the stories and the, the weight of like everybody's feelings, um, in my family. Um, and so for me, um, it was very cathartic process to, finally present it to them. It was also really important to me to present it to them in a thorough way where they were all together. So we had a big screening in Seattle at the Egyptian theater and um, all my family members were there almost um, and neighbors and friends and all of that. And we had a big community experience around it and um your family came up on stage afterwards to do q a and you know it's a mixture of like pride in me um feelings that they hadn't thought about coming up just witnessing a story about any family i think that that's the other surprising thing is like they're able to watch it and see and get caught up in the story as well and be like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's, it's exactly. them. perspective. All of a sudden, seeing it on screen, even though it's your life. Yeah, yeah. So that was surprised me too. Um, how how they just got caught up in the story and were like, wow, what a story, you know. Um, and and then, uh, you know, Sam was when he he his reaction was like relief. You know, I think that you know he had some he. Here's this, you know, here, <laughs> he trusts me a lot, but like, you know, still, like, if you have a story made out that's telling this long-term thing about your life, like, 
That's a lot to, that's a lot to handle. And I think he was relieved that, um, I did it in a pretty honest way and that, um, that in the end I revealed, um, kind of the beautiful messiness of, of family. Um, I think he was concerned it might be tied up too neatly. I could go on and on. <laughs> I mean, each I one know. of my family members reacted differently. Uh, you brought up like some other things that were interesting, like, like patience, you know, and how at times in there you felt like you were like, just like, I, I gotta just like, you know, like I, something's gotta happen. Why are they being so patient? And it's like, yes, me as, um, filmmaker, this was a great exercise in, in patience as both filmmaker and family member. Um, here I am caught in the middle. Um, Balancing these relationships. Um, I certainly don't want to burn any bridges between my stepmom and my brothers, Sam and Jared, who have a lot more at stake. There's a third brother. I apologize. I left him out. And Peter. Yeah. And um, so I find myself, you know, as this mystery unfolds. (laughs) Where is she? You know, where, how, how can we find her? That's the original mystery to like, Hey, this is deeper than that. There's something much deeper about this whole story. And I go, I go very deep into it and just try to find empathy for every one of my family members the best I can. Yeah. Well, you know, we're way past the point. In, fil- in documentary filmmaking where there's controversy around making a very personal film and inserting yourself into the film. This, if there was uh, some sort of rule, it's long been transgressed, right? Cause, and I think for the better. And stop worrying about whether or not, even if it's fiction, nonfiction, even though we know this is nonfiction, but it's a story, you know, and then, um, and I'd say curious to see how you grapple with the objective versus the subjective, which is kind of what you're talking about here. Documentary yeah. filmmaker telling a story that organically is emerging, but also you're a character <laughs> with a lot in the background. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot on the line. I mean, we start off telling stories at the beginning of the movie. You know, we start off making these fiction films. We carry that through in the movie too. You know, it's, it's something that I think and when you really think about, you know, what is fact and what is fiction, um, the stories that we tell, the fictions that we act out, tell a lot about our authenticity and mm-hmm. who we are. And I think that that's something I really leaned into is like, <laughs> how does Sam perform? How does he want to act out on camera? You know, like, how do we want to tell this story? And I think that in doing that, I mean, it was a really, really hard edit. It's a really hard movie to make something like this, but I think I was able to tap into an authenticity that is, um, is, <laughs> is really cool. It's a really cool kind of authenticity. Did you tap, tap anybody? I mean, uh, or did you, uh, in terms of, the actual sculpting of this story, the editing, the post-production, all that stuff. I don't know. Did you, were you inspired by anything you'd seen or did you like reach out to any other filmmakers maybe that you knew about that had gone down this path of, Mm. you know, uh, exposing one's 
family in their story? Good question. Yeah, I had a lot of, um, you know, over 25 year span, I had so many different influences on this. Um, yeah, um, I, I mean, Lapted. The, Lapted. yeah, Michael Apted, you know, I had seen Ooh. as a teenager and I was like, whoa, that's far out. And then, um, yeah, he did this podcast you know, twice. Oh, cool. So, you're, so cool. You're you're in good company. A good company. Oh, nice. Incredible. Yeah. So, you know, um, Sarah Polly's stories we tell was really inspirational. Um, Definitely. all of Ross McElwee's films, Sherman's sure. March, you know, very, very inspirational stuff. Um, yeah. Michael Moore, I was at a book signing as an 18 year old and he, he's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm, I'm like in high school. What do you mean? What do I do? And he's like, what do you do? And I was like, I was like, well, I want to be a filmmaker. And he's like, well, just say it. And I was like, what? Like, advice. here's a huge line. People are signing books. You're like taking a moment to like <laughs> have this processing session with me. And so I was like, okay, I'm a filmmaker. And I, that changed my life. Um, wow. But, um, you know, Gosh, there's so many. I mean, in yeah. recent years, Minding the Gap was huge. I was just like, yes, thank you. Thank you, Bing. Yeah. Um, it's on as well. I have, I have a lot of, lot of. Yes. Filmmakers, we are talking about it a bit on this podcast. Most of the ones you just mentioned, actually. There's um, a great memoir, um, Ariel Levy's, uh, An Abbreviated Life that inspired me as far as like, you know, being yeah. able to open up about things that are haunt you from your family. Um, and yeah, dude, so there's, it just goes on and on, you know, like yeah. have so many influences. And I think this will influence younger filmmakers too. You know, I think you made something really remarkable and powerful. Um, and it's called Sam now. It's uh, going to open in LA on Thursday jump in and correct me if I make any errors here, but it's going to be uh, in LA on March 6th, as of March 6th in New York at the Village East uh, as of March 7th. And then it will be wonderfully, uh, uh, it'll have a broadcast. Did you have to make a broadcast length version of this? Do you have to go back and edit yet again for the broadcast at independent lens? <laughs> yes and no. We, um, our final cut, our, you know, final, final cut is the broadcast link. Um, oh, very we, good. um, yeah, we, we got it all in, um, 87 minutes. Well, we want to urge people to go to see it theatrically. And so, yes, and it will eventually there will be a broadcast as I mentioned, and we can, we'll, 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 we'll plug that soon enough because it's not far off, right? Yes. Uh, we're opening theatrically on April 6th. In Glendale at the Wembley Theater. And then, uh, right away, uh, in New York on the 7th at uh, Village East. That's all you need to say. And maybe it'll open in other theaters. Is that possible? Yes. And we're opening like a bunch of other theaters. Uh, we have a very nice website. People can go. We'll put the website at the end and people can, uh, or, or down below or something like that. But we will, and we'll urge people based on this conversation. I hope some people go see it. I mean, uh, it's also a really funny at times and, and heartwarming and you got a beautiful family and it's a great story. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to not only see it, but then to meet the filmmaker, Reed Harkness, 
So thanks for uh, making the time and coming on. Thanks for having this conversation, Adam. It's been great. Let's do it again sometime with uh, some other project soon, you know. All right. I'll see you in 25 years. (laughs) Okay. That's a deal. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. You too. So when we set out to find your mom, did you get what you wanted? You have set in motion a journey that will circle around and circle around in your life. Now I have to start leaning into that discomfort or I'm going to be like emotionally stunted my whole life. Just kept asking, do you really want to do this, Sam? In everyone's youth, there's at least one pivotal something. It haunts us, but it can make us stronger. Things will not be the same after you do this. Sam will be different. So are you ready to talk about your mom? <laughs> As I mentioned before, earlier in the first intro, my my, my re- returning guest is a, is become a friend, which is, you know, like what Andy experiences, and I'm sure John and other hosts here at Radio Free Ryan where sure. when you bring in people, uh, I mean, some you may already know, I guess, socially or otherwise, but when you bring somebody on and you just connect, which happens frequently, you feel like you want to support their career, you know? And so when they make their next project, and uh, you bring them back. It, and, and I've had, because I've been doing the show so many years now, I've had on some guests with three, four, five films hmm. at this stage. Huh, that's a, really? Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, like I bring on a mayor of Blaustein, who you know, because the festival sure. is, is annual. And so I bring her on every, or some other festivals. You know, I love bringing people back on. And it does develop a sense of a community around the show, which is really nice. Philip Shane is an example of that. He's an award-winning documentary filmmaker with over 30 years of experience. He was co-director and editor of Being Elmo. King Elmo, which was perhaps his most, I'll say, recognizable project, recognized project. When did that come out? It not... came out in around 2010, 11, uh-huh. around in there somewhere. It was a big Sundance Film Festival award-winning documentary, uh, which, you know, followed the guy who was... Time Square? The voice of... Uh, what? Oh, being Elmo, actually, go, go on. Yeah, but Elmo... The, the, Elmo's world. Elmo's world. Oh, that you do sound like it. It's uh-huh. as though you had children and were forced <laughs> to watch endless hours of being Elmo, like myself. I actually, there were so much annoying shows that, and I worked at Sony and we got all these videos yeah. for free, but I, mm-hmm. compared to some of the other shows and characters, I thought Elmo was the most, uh, you know. It was tolerable. Tolerable. Well, sure. Sesame Street. Like it's, yeah. So I got my son hooked on Elmo, and so, and the guy who played the or provided the voice and character of Elmo, which I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, uh, but Kevin, not something. He has an unusual last name. Kevin was, you know, I mean, this was after the film came out. Was accused of acting inappropriately with. Oh. Turns out that was not true. Mm-hmm. He was vindicated entirely. Yeah. Of course, that doesn't usually make the as much of a splash, sure. the vindication part, mm-hmm. unfortunately. 
But anyway, that was uh, one of uh, Philip's earlier projects. Uh, he also uh, was a producer and editor of the two-hour feature documentary Einstein, which was on the History Channel, as editor of Dancing in Jaffa, which had its world premiere at the 2013 Tribeca Film Festival. He and Bob Eisenhart won the Best Editing Award at Israel's prestigious Doc Aviv Film Festival. I could go on and on. This new project is a sh- short documentary called Jade da- Daskow, Photography of, Photographer of Lost Utopias, where she follows this photographer named Jade, who takes photographs of these large architectural, you know, buildings, uh, spots that, you know, are kind of relics on some level, you know, or, you know, anyway, uh, I mean, one example is, you know, uh, in Queens, the, the former site of the Queens World Fair. Right. And right. So the, uh, the, I forget what they're called now, but the Unisphere and all mm-hmm. the, the, uh, and that's just one example, but the film follows her and then she puts on a show. So it follows her over a number of years, uh, even though it's only about a half hour of the documentary, but it's sp- spectacular and it's, and Philip's a very talented friend. And so I wanted to bring him back on just because I like the guy as well. So right now, how many well, times has he been on? This is his second, only his second. But, um, you know, yes, there have been guests that have been on like up to 10 times. Wow. Yeah. The winning guest. <laughs> yeah. That would be Larry Fessenden, who actually, even though he's a, he's located, he's based in New York City, also has a place up here mm-hmm. in around the Shokin area. Uh, Bring him in for number 11. I know. I need to bring him in. To the studio. Yeah, no, I want him to come here and do the show. Larry, you're not listening. But if you were, <laughs> let's go now to my conversation with the uh, nonfiction filmmaker. I think that's the best way to describe these guys. Uh, Philip Shane here on Film Wax. And you guys have a great week ahead. You too. Thank you. Too. Right. Cue up the theme music, please. <laughs> What do my pictures mean to me? I love you. Careful, sweetie. We create these monuments. Then we disappear. I think of them as my children. There's a gestation period. Then a creation. People come and go. And we leave behind these things. How do they exist on their own? How are you, man? Good, good. Same here. 
We miss you. Well, the bean doesn't exist anymore. It's now called. No, no. It was gone place. before I left. It was gone before okay. I left. So it's yeah. got to be, uh, like, uh, I'm going to guess like three and a half years since, uh, oh my God. uh, since it's gone. I mean, yeah. uh, right. Cause, uh, yeah. hold on one sec here. I'm just preparing myself here. Mm-hmm. Um, what's there now? It's a, it's a nice place. It's uh, it's not as cool as I thought the bean was pretty cool. It's but it's a nice place called La Bianca Latte. It's another cafe. Oh, okay. actually, it's fancy. I will say the one complaint people had, I was fine with it. But for me, the bean was it was a lot of places to sit and it has a nice vibe. But the coffee yeah. was not not something special. The coffee is now pretty good. So they're Italian <laughs> Italian owners. It's very nice and good All pastries right. too. Yeah. Oh, that's always important. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's get our priorities straight here. Exactly. All right. <clears throat> so, and um, anything else going on there? Oh, man, the neighborhood, you know, it just continues to uh, change. Yeah. Not in bad ways. I think it's fine. But uh, I must say the hustle and bustle is back. Yeah. Not not 100% like it was before, but it's uh, post-pandemic. It's come alive again for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, glad for the occasion to do this. And, uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, so many, by the way, filmmakers up in this area here. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. and artists and, you know, you name it. It's a real, it's just, I mean, it's almost like, you know, an extension of the whole Brooklyn vibe in some, some ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's I, awesome. I really do like living up here a lot. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, sir, about this, uh, photographer Jade, uh, uh Dasco is how she pronounces it. Dasco, Dasco, yeah. uh, right. She is, uh, architectural photographer, large scale mm-hmm. uh, architecture. Is that how she describes herself in your short film? Yeah, actually, which be, I think she would describe herself as a landscape, more of a landscape architect, more landscape photographer. Photog- uh-huh. Or, or, or landscape and photography architecture. Her current project is, is also an amazing thing. She was hired by Fresh Kills Landfill or the New York Parks Department or something like that. Or, and she is, I believe, the sole photographer in charge of documenting the transformation, the 25 year transformation of Fresh Kills from one of the largest dumps, <laughs> landfills in, in the world into this magnificent pastoral landscape. It's an incredible place. And she is like, goes out there once a month and is, just keeps taking pictures. Oh, of its evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Where is it at now? I guess I get, again, Google Maps. Yeah. Well, it's on Staten Island is where it is. Literally. No, I know but where so, it is. I mean, yeah. we, we it's, to- um, if you were, if you were in it, you would not recognize it you would literally you might think you're in Rhinebeck again without the mountains um in fact it's so like being in you know out in the country there's meadows and trees trees of all different kinds and wildlife running around deer and even i believe little foxes and all kinds of different things you the interesting thing is you would not know you're in new york until you look out on the horizon and just far off in the distance is a tiny little skyline you know, no, yeah. wow, it's so surreal. So it's huh. a cool, cool place. Because they've landscaped it with the making it, uh, turning it into basically a, uh, you know, a forest. Oh, and a park. Yeah. Like right. A park. Okay. 
yeah. over what was a land landfill. Yes, they have sealed it, sealed the landfill in with 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 dirt with with yeah well with uh, all kinds of uh, plastic wrapping and like multiple layers of oh. I don't even know what it's in it's actually apparently I don't know much about it but it's like an astounding engineering achievement I, and yeah, what's I interesting is the one it's one of the few uh, one of the only other telltale signs that you're in an unusual forest is occasionally you see these <clears> weird little they almost look like little water pumps but they're actually like vents yep. for methane gas that comes up from oh sure right little like hard black rubber pipe things that come up and that kind of thing or sometimes like that or sometimes it literally looks like a metal almost looks like a metal water pump or something oh, okay like curved or curved metal thing i see got it all right. So wow, she, so she is the official photographer of that, and yeah. uh, I guess she's found a niche. So how did you meet this young photographer? Because she is young. I mean, that's one of the things about her. She, even though she seems very mature and uh, has a uh, uh, a level of self a possession and um, understanding, you know, which is not as which is refreshing. But um, yeah, no, she's amazing. I met her. Um, through uh, on Twitter one day, uh-huh. um, I saw a tweet by Gary Hustwit. Great yes, Gary, documentary sure. filmmaker. Yeah, um, sure. and his, they have a place up here. Oh, do they? Okay, cool. At least cool. so, because I run it. I've run into them a couple of times at like at events. He and yeah. his, his wife, who's you know a filmmaker herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. I his and films to me. Yeah. yeah, his films to me are so inspiring. And Helvetica. Uh, Helvetica, urbanized, and uh, urbanized. There's three of them, etc., cetera. etc. Cetera. <laughs> and um, his wife is. We had this funny other connection uh, to him in that his wife made a lovely short documentary called Tugboats, or it's about tugboats anyway. Oh. And when I was traveling around the festival circuit with Being Elmo, they would often pair tugboats with Being Elmo. Which oh, okay. Is- Thing. So we would see them all all over the country. Kept yeah. Anyway, um, he tweeted, uh, he was sort of retweeting uh, a tweet from Jade uh, about a Kickstarter she was running for her lost for her Lost Utopias project, which is the World's Fair uh, project. And I saw that and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. I love World's Fairs. And I, you know, yeah. and she was doing a Kickstarter. And, and to me, I get sucked into Kickstarter campaigns, uh, happily so, that are where the person is doing something that I want to live through vicariously. Like, I wish I was doing that. Right. Um, and so I gladly supported that. And at the time, I was sort of looking for a, a film to make. Great. Oh, and yeah, that was what I was going to ask you about, if you were yeah. just looking for it. Because when was, when was your last film? That actually, you know, I really have just made short films. So I edit feature films and, and co-direct and produce and some of that. Um, but, uh, I'm, you know, a part of other films, as far as my own, like I generate the project and, and make it, you know, from the beginning. Like most uh, editors now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and I've, I'm now making a feature, which is the one about the mist, about mist, this video game. But, um, I made, you know, I've made a number of shorts. Originally I made a bunch of comedy shorts when I was with UCB for a long time. And, um, I had made a documentary. Oh, I didn't, I don't know if I know this part of your. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I made a short with, uh, Michael Lesser, who's, uh, yeah. old, old Maisel cinematographer actually back in the day. And yeah. uh, he and his wife, fun fact, he and his wife are up in, um, 
often up in New Paltz. They have a place up in New Paltz, so it's a little bit up your way. Um, Michael and his wife, you mean? Michael and his wife, yeah, uh, Carol. And uh, anyway, with Michael, I made a film called Rewalk. It's not played, you know, played in festivals and stuff like that, a short documentary about the invention of the first, kind of the first veterans um, that were getting to use these robotic exoskeletons. Uh, huh. Now, but a bit more commonplace. At the time we made the film, it was pretty new. And anyway, I, I had finished that and, and was now looking for another kind of short documentary to make. And I love, you know, most of my films are portraits of people, individual right. people as opposed to groups, and especially artists. And anyway, I just saw this thing. And I, it, there were so, I had so many personal, I felt so many personal connections just in terms of my interest. World's Fair, uh, you know, photography, a photographer, the work of a photographer. Um, I had always liked, um, when you go to museums and you're going to go see an art exhibit, a lot of times, even when I was a kid, I would go see these things in a museum. There's often a little room you get to sit in before going into the exhibit where they show a little documentary about an artist, yes. about the artist. Yeah. And I think probably that is one of the main reasons I'm in documentary later as well, a grown-up. Really? I've never just, heard that in all my conversations. I've never heard. Oh, yeah. I just love those things. And so I wanted to make one of those about Jade. And, uh, that's awesome. Contacted her and that, yeah. yeah, off we went. Nice. And how yeah. how long did it take to, for this film to come together? Oh boy, I think uh, it, I made it over the course of six or seven years. Uh, did it wow. need six or seven years? Not necessarily. I mean, it's, and it's a thirty minute film. It's a 30 minute film. I mean, I didn't know how long it would be. And it's, it's not because of the epic scope of the project or anything. Um, although it, it's because I'm, you know, a working filmmaker and I'm always doing a million other things. And, um, uh, I will say it's an interesting thing. I maybe some of the other, if there's other artists or filmmakers in the audience, you know, can relate, uh, to, uh, um, I suffer sometimes from like, uh, you know, you're working on your own thing and then I get so freaked out by it, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do next. And whereas when I work for other people or with other people, I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. I know exactly. What right. Doing. Sure. Sure. Well, you're working without a net when you're on your own in a way, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's self-funded and you know, I didn't do a good yeah. start or anything for that. Everything's, so, on um, Everything's on you. I mean, it's sure. Yeah. The best thing about that, however, in taking that long is, um, as you know, with documentaries, it really means you do get to cover a really interesting, is this boring word, longitudinal, um, or observational thing, but you're covering a long, you're covering somebody's life and you do see them and their work develop. Uh, so for instance, at the beginning of the film, I believe her son is about three and then he's five and, um, you know, he grows up a little bit in, in the film and stuff like that. So, that was really neat. The other thing is her project is a 10, I believe she took about 10 years to uh, do all of North America, oh, photograph wow. all the world's fairgrounds in North America. And oh, I, I got to see how many there were. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, I got to see, here's the best thing. And um, I got to see her career develop. So I really got to see her go from at the beginning of the film. I think you see her having one photograph being shown in a small museum at the International Center of Photography. We have a exhibit. At the end, she starts, she publishes a book and she had all these exhibits. And, uh, and some of those galleries, by the way, up, up in the Hudson Valley too, Beacon. And, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Pia is here up at Beacon and it's a big, 
Was that where it was? At the, at the, at the one of the, one, it, we see it, it's sort of a montage of a number of galleries, some in Brooklyn, yeah. some in Manhattan. Yeah, that's a big deal, Manhattan. that place. It's, there's the, uh, you know, uh, Metro North. It just brings all these folks. Uh, Brooklyn, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brooklyn it's, Beacon, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so you've got the Dia Museum there and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a big, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a real popular spot for like a day trippers, you know. Yeah, yeah. The okay, are we are we in the show now, or is this like pre? No, this is the show. Yeah, this is the show, man. I want to say hello and thank you. <laughs> I didn't know if there'd be music because I know in the show you've got music and you have like an intro and stuff like that. Oh, um, yeah, but but uh, that's all in post. That's uh, the magic that's, of editing. Well, if you don't know it. what that means. Let me know. Right. I'll fill you in on some of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, yeah, no, what, uh, what I might, we'll see where I come in, like, you know, because, but it's sort of part of the, the show, and I think the, I hesitate to call it charm, but whatever you want to call it, is that it's, you know, what you see is what you get, WYSIWYG, sure. you know, like, yeah. a part of it is the reverite approach to it, and not trying to, you know, create some overly slick type of, you know, but something far more casual and, um, you know, uh, yeah, as I said, Verite kind of, so I, I, just, I, I like it. You're, I you're like, you're like Nick Broomfield. You just show up with the cameras rolling. That's what I heard he does. Yeah. Um, but I get into fewer scuffles. Yeah. I, I <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's been on a few times. How oh, fantastic. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah. What was I going to say? Oh yeah. So I grew up, I don't know if you know, but I grew up in Queens and I grew up Minutes. From, I mean, you can ah. see it from our our place. Like you cool. could see the road there in Flushing, you know, Meadow Park, and so I, I, you know, and then I would had on somebody the other day. Where uh, actually, I shouldn't just say somebody. R.J. Cutler. Uh huh. Yeah. So I'm sure you know his work. I actually I know R.J. a little bit. Yeah, from back. Oh, in the okay. Day. So he's you know he's really grown. Talking about his career is really blown up, but he he was yeah. just on because he has a new docu series. So we were talking the other day. And he had a Mets, like a really nice Mets cap on. Uh-huh. And so we were talking about the Mets and I'm like, you know, he would come in from Great Neck. I'm like, well, I, we live five minutes away. I mean, uh-huh. you know, it was like the, the uh, Grand Central Parkway was blocking. You could kind of almost bike over there, except that, uh-huh. I mean, I guess you could, you could figure out how to get in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, but it wasn't like the shortest way there. You'd have to bike over the, or walk over the Central Parkway, which I don't recommend to do. But I was yeah. very close to the World's Fair, and it holds a lot of mystique. And it was many years later when my son was small, when I was started, where you know I was visiting my parents. They had been living in the village for many, many years, but moved back to the area uh, later in life. And then I was visiting with my son, and we uh, went to the Queen's Museum, which I had never been to, which yeah. is right there on the plaza there where yeah. – you know, the hemisphere and it's right by where the world's fair was. Yeah. Um, the unisphere, the unisphere, the unisphere rather. Right. Unisphere. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Don't correct me on my podcast. No. And so did you, did you see the map in the Queens museum, the city, the yes. incredible model of the city. Yeah, sure. Amazing. Yeah. It's right. You go into that like dark room, right? And yes. right. Yeah. yeah. That was and that's from the fair. That's from the 64. I know. It's really incredible. You know, if you look close enough, I could, I could see me in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah it's very matrix. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know if you've been back there, by the way. But the the uh, so what you're talking about is uh, Jade. Uh, in fact, some of Jade's most famous photographs from this series are of what was called the New York State Pavilion. It is in the um, 
the New York World's Fair grounds, Flushing Meadows, um, near, as you said, the Unisphere, which is kind of the model of the Earth, very famous thing people have seen. Also near the, the Arthur Ashe Tennis Center and the, where the Mets play, on the, what used to be Shea Stadium and is now City Stadium. Stadium. And um, no. the New York State Pavilion, designed by Philip Johnson, great architect, has since been semi-restored. There's a group that's working to restore it. It's taking a while, but... Uh, sure, what? Semi-restored the building, uh, which has been a ruin for many years. The New York which, State which Pavilion. Which one? So the New York State Pavilion was, it, oh. what is the really weird, like the round structure with the yeah, two. Yes. Uh, it's uh, in uh, men that, in black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they've since built a theater there that I don't know if it's like a stage theater or a movie theater and stuff, but, uh, well, it's not a movie theater. <laughs> no, okay. All right. All right. There's no way that's going to be the case, but, <laughs> uh, interesting. So there, that's wonderful news. Yeah. You know, uh, well, anyway, I grew up very close to there. So cool. is that what year was the world's fair there? So there were two World's Fairs. One was in uh, 1939 and 1940, I believe, and the other was in 1964, 65. Uh, at, at, in Queens? It's that exact same location. Basically, the 64 oh. World's Fair is on the exact same site as the 39 were. The 39, oh. by the way, it, you or anyone in the audience, if you've not seen um, audience? home movies, right? There's an one. Yeah. I, I believe. Um, no, uh Home movies or there's been some beautiful documentaries about both World's Fairs, but especially the 1939 World's Fair was incredible. Yeah. Really like, it's yeah, this heard. quintessential kind of futuristic right. thing. So yeah, where they actually probably made, um, if I, I'm, I'm just guessing because I can't really remember, but it, I, I would imagine they, they had a certain amount of accuracy with or, you know, good guesses about the kind of technology that they, that they, you know, were predicting would be, uh, yeah. around. Yeah. 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 Space, Jewish space lasers, for instance. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there used uh, to be a world fair though every four years, right? Wasn't there? It's interesting. There's not, um, there was there, I believe there was an official world fair organization. Maybe they still exist. Maybe there are multiple ones. Oh, I don't then. think it really. It's a semi, Semi-official thing. So anyway, it, but basically different cities, when they decide they want to hold a World's Fair, that they, they seem to. But they don't do it anymore. There hasn't been a World's they Fair. They still do them. They still do them. And in fact, Jay, really? Jay tells a wonderful story about getting the idea to do this project, which just to clarify if, we, if I didn't already, her project uh, was to, it's called Lost Utopias. And she right. set out to document, to photograph all of the World's Fair sites in North America, and eventually the world she'd like to do. She's done North America. And um, she would go to them. And whether they still had remnants, like you see in New York City, or some of them just an empty field, uh, she would still, she would photograph it. And a uh, beautiful, astounding body of work. And um, I believe she got, if I remember correctly, she got the idea by going to the World's Fair in, I think, Barcelona. Oh, that was you know in recent times. And, I didn't uh, realize they still have World Fairs. There was one in Milan recently as well. Yeah, oh. they still happen. They're nothing like they're not as earth shattering as they were in the past because we have the internet and we have yeah. The world is so much smaller too. It was like yeah, part of that was to celebrate was like in a way to try to make the world seem smaller. Well, yeah. there was that song after all. 
It's a small world, after it's a small all. Wasn't that? Yeah. Is that part that, of the World's Fair? It might. I, I want to say it was, but I could be completely wrong. But it I know that it's Disney World, uh, right? Or one of the Disney, who's one of my great. I love Disney, and I love Disney World so much. And uh, he, so anyone who's been to Epcot, yeah, Disney World, Disney World too, and Disneyland, but uh, Disney World in particular, and Epcot absolutely might enjoy knowing that Disney. Um, makes sense that Disney began building things like that at the 1964 World's Fair. Right. So he built some of the most popular and like really cool uh, Futurama and um, different things like this for General Motors and uh, Sinclair Oil Company also had a thing about the dinosaurs and fossil fuels and things which yeah. you can see today. Um, but yeah, it's possible that it's a small world comes from that. If not, it's at the direct if, well, if you're, if you're if you're watching or listening out there, let us know. <laughs> right. If if you know the song, it's now in your head. And, and, uh, well, yeah. Congratulations. It was a great yeah. song. Yeah. I mean, I remember it very clearly uh, from growing up with it. And um, uh, and so, how would so tell me where where it's where Jade? Uh, wait a minute. Daskow. Dusko? Dosko. Dosko. D-O-S-K-O-W. Or I wasn't going to butcher it, but Dosko. Where photographer, where this, where people, where did it, did it, it's been in festivals yet? It has been in festivals. We had the unfortunate luck to, I finished the film and started putting it out right when the pandemic hit. Thank you very much. And so I submitted to lots of festivals and it just, that year, that was uh, yeah. 2020, I guess. You know, so many festivals. Uh, it, it, it was, a, by the way, I'll just say it was a fascinating thing. If you run or you, you're involved in any way in film festivals and you lived through 2020, I salute you because yes, I spoke to a lot of festival programmers who, you know, would be interested in showing the film. And then I talked to them and they say, we don't know if we're having in-person screenings at all. We don't know if we're going to cancel the film. We don't know if we're going to do virtual screenings. It was a chaotic thing. So we were in a number of festivals. We won some nice awards, which are wonderful. We kind of went through that. And then we're now in the process of, I haven't yet kind of just put it up online to be mass available because we are doing, uh, screenings, um, and short, you know, and the short film world is so different from the feature world. So we're doing screenings, right. uh, kind of we arrange them with museums or institutions or. Any, right. Educational distribution. Institutional. Yeah. Self-distribution. I mean, yeah, there really isn't exactly. that many vehicles for shorts like that other than but doing I, I wanna, sort of. Yeah, I do want to give a shout out though to, first of all, the uh, Asheville Museum of Art uh, down in North Carolina, where they had an exhibit of Jade's work at the local art museum or local gallery there. And they also invited, we had, that was kind of one of our premieres there. We also premiered, we had a New York, it's been a world premiere at the um, International Center of Photography, which has been a huge right. supporter of Jade's. She is also, I believe, on the faculty there. And um, we've had a couple of screenings there uh, down in the Bowery. If you have not been, if you're in New York, New York City, go to the International Center of Photography Museum down in the Bowery. It's really cool. They Let me just say, they built this beautiful museum. They moved from their original place, which was also beautiful in, Mid- in Midtown Manhattan. They moved down to the Bowery, built this magnificent museum, and I think they were open like six days and the pandemic hit. And then they had to close. And we got to be, um, my film and Jade and I got to go down there 
the film called Lost Utopias. Uh, we got to have a uh, premiere there, which was also the first film screening they had, the first live event post-pandemic. They reopened the museum oh. at that point. So that was really fun. Yeah, that's wonderful. So yeah. there's been some some stirrings of things with the film. That's yeah. great. So, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. And then we'll just keep people apprised of, you know, when the next opportunity comes. Absolutely. You know, we'll be, but you have to send me a clip. Okay, cool. Did I send you, I send you a press kit with a trailer? Oh, you have a trailer, proper trailer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Got a press kit. Got a, I can, by the way, the website, which is, I'd say to you and I'll email you as well, but, uh, for anyone who's listening, go to lostutopias.com. That's all one word. Um, you can see a trailer and you can see all, all kinds of background information, photographs from the film and, Little biography of Jade and information about myself, so and information about screenings and how if you're interested in having a screening, you can reach us. Oh, great! That's great. Yeah, lostutopias.com. Philip Shane is the filmmaker. Indeed, you can check out uh, philipshane.com. Yeah, is that true? That is true. That really, yeah. No, you you are Chat GPT, my friend. He's out of work. Yeah. Uh, for find out all about Philip Shane and what he's been up to or what he has accomplished. Uh, and I look forward to, uh, seeing him in person one of these days. No, thank you, Adam. It's an honor and a privilege. <laughs> for real. Yeah, the show and uh, see I mean I just like having nice people on the show it's really with the end of the day what what I, I want to sit with people that are not only you know making creative and great projects but also interested in talking about them and then you know and also making my podcast enjoyable and listen and you know uh, listenable I mean I can't do all the heavy lifting <laughs> that's why I bring you guys on uh, that's, what, that's what the project is so have you ever had someone on your show that was just kind of awful Sure. You don't need to name them, but oh, not the yeah, boring, but, you won't but be just able to like hear they them were all. awful people. Mm, there's only been, you know, it's so rare. And how many have I done now? Like close to 800? 759, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't keep track. Who keeps track? So it's amazing there have been more. I've gotten, a, you know, the worst guest is the guest that doesn't really isn't really present or is just, you know, going for clipped answers and, you know, not really engaging. Right. Mm -hmm. There's only, but only I, I've only disliked one person. (laughs) I think who I, I I actually was already disliking this person before they came on. I, I wasn't quite committed to dislike, but then (laughs) after the show I was, uh, and because they were just, they're just not, I I still have those feelings towards, (laughs) I just don't think that this particular person's really like about, 
other people so much as mm-hmm. themselves. So, which You've is only a had quality. one like that? No, I'm sure there've been others. There's been other difficult people, but you know, I've been told some people are really difficult, and they turn out to be really great guests because they're just there and they're, you know, doing their thing. And it's not always somebody who's super funny and engaging. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're a little, they are a little difficult, but that's okay because sometimes that can make for good. Sure. A good episode, but generally, you know, to make a generalization, the best guests are haven't have been people that are really glad to be there, excited to be there, mm-hmm. excited to talk, and then really do talk. Like I love when they talk the mo- more, even though I occasionally do cut people off or I do not shut up at times. But mostly, <laughs> I've learned to. I mean, I felt like with Susan last week, I, I probably could have let her talk more, but I I get a I had a sense that she needed a little bit of also you know, prying uh, out of uh, her shell a little bit. But what a story. Yeah. That was fascinating. Yeah. 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 No, and I, so, you know, yeah. But I don't, I have to talk to Andrew about uh, his bringing on too many film people. He's stepping on (laughs) toes here. (laughs) Nobody has these relationships. We're going to have Ken Burns on next week. Oh, my, see, that's what I'm talking about. But he's been on before too, right? Not Ken Burns, no. No? Oh, he's been on Film Wax, though. See, you beat him to it. Each Many time. years ago, with the with the with the Central Park Five. I mean, oh. they with the mm-hmm. project project, yeah. sure. But I did have one of the Central Park Five on as well with after Kent, like in the same show. Mm. I brought on one of the guys back. Then. Sounds great. So yeah, um, I know. I well, I have on since we're talking about upcoming yes, I'm, I can mention that I have W. Kemal Bell. I know that I've been following the guy. And his career for years now, and he was spectacular. Hmm. So his documentary, which we'll talk about next week, or the week, no, no, not next week, in May, Mm -hmm. is about mixed race kids Mm -hmm. and having mixed race family. So it's perfect because I have one of those. And Kamau and I had a great conversation, really, really connected, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, again, wonderful. And I don't know if he'll ever remember it for the next time, but it's great. So that's coming up. And a few other fun things are coming up. I have also the actor Zoe Lister-Jones. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's a great mm-hmm. great actor. She has a series on Roku oh. Oh. coming out called Slip. And she is, it's, so it's... Do you have Roku? I don't. I have, I, you know, I have a, a Apple, TV. Apple TV. Yeah. But do you have Roku? I have one. I've never hooked it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Counts, right? I don't, I don't. You don't need to to see this particular show, actually. You, you you could leave your Roku unhooked up and still view it. Some some technology that has. I feel like Roku shares its shows with Amazon Prime or something. Yeah. It might. It might. Yeah, you might be able to. Yeah, there's another way yeah, of getting it. Probably, it would make sense because you're 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 uh, preventing many people from seeing the show yeah. otherwise but uh, i guess they're producer of the show so ultimately that's what that's about roku is producing co- original content so it would make sense that they might you know put it on other platforms another upcoming guest which i'm very excited about is Catherine hardwick do you know this filmmaker yes very famous she made most famously twilight now you know a huge mega hit back in the day right mega bond sequels mm-hmm but Catherine, even though she made this hugely successful first film, was not asked back for the sequel. Really? Yeah. That's unfortunate. Sexist. They brought Very in men, sexist. men to, to direct it, even though it was a huge hit. So, you know, that, that was a, a news. I've had on Catherine before. This will be her second appearance on the show. 
Also, the Metrograph Cinema in Lower Manhattan is been there. It's a great place. It's a great place, and they one of the things they're doing is a series about ed, um, editing and film. And my friend Michael Taylor, who has been on a bunch of times on the show, is speaking of the community around FilmWise. He's a regular in there. Michael is a great editor. He's edited uh, quite a few high, highly regarded uh, films, both fiction and nonfiction. And he uh, reached out. He said, I'd love to do something on the series with you and the upcoming uh, installment, which is next week. So this will be on this next week's show. It'll have to be on even if I do something live. And then we're going to bring out Bobby Osteen, who is an editor, and her husband edited The Graduate. Wow. Her late husband. Wow. Yeah. They're going to be showing The Graduate, and then she will be, and Michael will be talking about it. Where? And the editing, from the, an editing, uh, standpoint. Where are they? Uh, are they at the Metrograph. The Metrograph? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're also bringing on, uh, one of the programmers of the Metrograph as well. So it'll be a crowded segment, but I'm looking forward to that. So that's all, all things that are coming up in the next, uh, week or so. And that's it. So I, I really thank you guys as always, uh, Matt Rosenberg and Jen Hamoud, uh, here at Radio Free Ryan Cliff. Uh, what you guys are doing is spectacular and I want everybody to check out RadioFreeRyanCliff.org for more information and check out more of their shows. They're all pretty terrific, I have to say. Thank you for guys and we'll be back in a week. Thank you. Thank Looking you. forward. <laughs>